Welcome to the Rider Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. That's me. And Larry Korea. You're supposed to have a pithy quote. I, I, I was, I'm still overwhelmed by the book sighting. <laughs> Today's episode, live from LibertyCon. All right. All right, everybody. Welcome to this, uh, this live version of the Rider Dojo, the second live one that we've done. The first one, of course, being in FenCon back in September. So thank you guys for being here with us. Thank you for... Man, so many of you guys listen to us and, and, and have such nice things to say about us for some reason. Um, but thank you. Tell them what episode this is. Okay, so yeah. When this episode airs, it will be the Writer Dojo's 100th episode. And I think I speak for the three of us when I say that... Uh, I'm not quite sure that we realized we would make it for 100 episodes. Oh, man. I was like, if we get through 20, I'd be like, yeah, big achievement. When we started out, I was like, there is no way that me and Steve are going to sit in a room and talk about a topic for 30 minutes uh, over and over again, and it stay fresh and interesting. And it actually, the only th- it turned into 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, our 30, it's, it's like the Bane trilogy, right? You know, it's like three to five books. Yeah, these are like, this is like Rider Dojo 30 minutes. It's actually 45. And I don't know how many times we've had, like, we got to the end of the, the 45 minutes and we're like, uh, okay, we're going to put a pin in this. We're going to come back and do part two. Yeah. And sometimes if, part three. If we were a sitcom, we could now be syndicated. Yeah, baby. Yeah. That's true. We could be like Cheers. <laughs> or, Can we be Seinfeld instead? Uh, Frazier? Okay. <laughs> we'll meet in the middle. Well, uh, look, I mean, before, before this podcast really started, I, I, I barely even knew Jack. Um, you know, kind of off and on here and there. Um, I'm not even sure I've seen your face, really. Most people don't. Yeah. Usually it's raccoons. Well, I'm um, not a raccoon. Classified. Okay. All right, we'll just say that Jack, uh, produ- uh, for here on the air, producer Jack, has a new job. A very cool new job. Yeah. Um, for those of you at LibertyCon, you know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> for but those of you who aren't, too bad. It's cool and book-related. Yes. And very important to both Larry and I. Oh, go ahead and tell him. Okay. You say it. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Like so Jack's the new director of marketing at Bain. <laughs> Which is why Larry and I are very, very happy. <laughs> um, no, I mean, seriously, Bain, Bain's been doing such wonderful stuff for so long. Um, and so for, for us to see this guy get that job now and be so integrally involved in, in a company that both Larry and I just love and adore... Man, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal for him personally and, and of course, you know, selfishly for us. Because yeah. I needed more work. Yes. Yeah. He was so bored all day. Yeah, it was like his third job at fourth, fifth, maybe. <laughs> We're getting there. Something like that. He's Mr. Side Hustle. No, but we've known, we've known, I've known Jack for... Um, 17 years. 17 years. And uh, so, so quite a long time. And we actually first met in the gun business. 
uh, way back when, and I was just a noob with a self-published book, and we used to talk on the phone a lot because I used to order lots of guns from him, and um, he he said, "Okay, I'd like to I'd like to check this out. I like to read science fiction and fantasy Ed novels." Shows. It was oh Ed yeah, shot, shot show. show. And I gave him a copy of my self-published. I book. paid for it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He <laughs> actually, let's be honest. I could not give away books, guys. At the time, they were like twenty-dollar print-on-demand paperbacks. I was way too poor to be giving those out, right? And uh, no, that's how, that's how we became friends. We actually wound up hanging out at a bunch of shot shows over the year, over the years. And I was like one of the one of the sane people you could retreat to. <laughs> And uh, no, we had a lot of fun. And then later on, we just wound up in different businesses and uh, my writing career took off and I hated doing swag and I was really bad at it. If you guys remember those days, you'd order patches and like my daughters who at the time were like eight years old would address the packages and get everything wrong and then mail your package to Nebraska. And, uh, and then so uh, Jack came along. He's like, hey, why don't I just do that for you? Dude, just you know? write the books. I just, just write the books, which is good, and that worked out really well for me, and that's how we started working together. And I fixed the website. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and fixed my and website. So you focus on the books. Because it was, my website was really <laughs> bad and crashed a lot, which is crashing a lot right now, too, but that's not Jack's fault. That's because the company that we hired to host us decided to get sold to an evil mega corporation, and it's it been It was crap. the transition period where it was going down. Yeah. I think it's all fixed and stable now. And if not, you guys will send that. him nasty emails. No, we worked together for many years, and so it's funny, and through that, he actually got to know a lot of the band authors. He got to know Tony Weisskopf, uh, and we talked about, like, when you did your book on art. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and so then when it came time for band to hire a new sales and marketing director, she hired producer Jack. So Part of the family. His real job is sales and marketing. Yeah. So... <laughs> yeah. And then much like all of the stories involving Larry and I, where he has all of this back history and stuff going into it. My version of meeting Jack was, Larry said, hey, Steve, this is Jack. And I went, oh, well, cool. Nice to meet you, dude. He's like, sweet. That was it. I mean, <laughs> you know? But no, no, seriously, though, Jack is, Jack is freaking awesome. Um, we become really, really good friends in a really, really short amount of time. It's true. Um, but yeah, so look, we're here, 100th episode. Uh, I'm still kind of baffled that we've managed to not suck. <laughs> well, I'm sure we got uh, some episodes. We could do a like, worst of do. compilation one sometime. Yeah, 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 it's probably all the ones I edited. Um, <laughs> Actually, that's true. When, when we did we, have, when he almost died, when, when Jack almost died of COVID, yeah. uh, we, still, we still delivered episodes every week. We delivered episodes. Only they were not as good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, now you understand what, you know, I understand how much work Jack puts into this podcast. I'm not allowed to die. That's right. No. That's no. Right. He's too busy for that crap. And actually, there's a whole lot of other band authors who would say the same thing now. Yeah. You know, I'm curious, you guys, like, so far, okay, 100 episodes in, so far, what has been your favorite moments of the show? You, Jack, you go first. It's like I'm a moderator or something. <laughs> you mean favorite episode? Or? Uh, no, favorite moments, favorite episode, whatever you want to, whatever, however you want to put it. I like it when I have content from y'all way ahead of when it's due. Oh, oh so like oh. once in a great while. So I have every... time to edit it. So when people don't yell at me, because you... the levels are off. Huh. That's a good feeling. <laughs> 
How about you, Steve? Yeah. What's your favorite moment? My favorite moment is when Jack is not dead. <laughs> and he can edit the episode so I don't have to. Uh, no, for, for me, uh, for me, it's just been, it's been everyone coming up and saying, hey, man, like, you know, this is, uh, you guys have demystified what this is, what writing is. And, and because of that, I've been able to write a story, a short story, a novel, whatever, and I've, and I've submitted it. And in some cases, it's been accepted. Um, there was an anthology uh, from, uh, from Law Dogs Press um, a couple Racon months ago. Raconteur. Yeah, from Raconteur Press. Publications? Press? Press. And, press. and uh, it was the, the first Space Cowboys one. And literally every name on the list was someone in the Ryder Dojo. That was pretty dang cool. And that was awesome. Uh, and some of those guys, that was their first publishing credit. I, I've had probably, since I've been here at LibertyCon uh, and doing the book signing just now, I'm probably six or seven people that I've talked to since I've been here who've come up to me and said, I've been listening to Writer Dojo, and it either you know got me back on track, mm -hmm. or it got me motivated to, to work again, or I, I got me to finish my book, or I got my first sale, or I started submitting... Or, or something along those lines. And, and, and a few people I just talked to just now who uh, we had, I talked to one fellow who sold four short stories. Jeez. Uh, and, and, and he was not writing at all. And we talked to FenCon and he was. That's more than I've sold, dang it. In the last year? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, you've sold a lot of short stories. It's been a busy year. But like, this is a guy who listened to us at FenCon and listened to all the episodes. And you know, I was just talking to him just now. He sold four short stories since then. Man, that's freaking. Wait, since FenCon? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's really, really good, guys. And so I'm hearing this stuff, and it's, that, that's awesome. And we're really, we're really excited for you. And the reason we started doing this was because of that. And, and there were other writing podcasts that we had, uh, me and Steve had been guests on. Oh, yeah. Over the years. And most of them either kind of went away, or some of them just got kind of like really awful and then scoldy, you know? And, and, and Thou they, shalt not write this. Yeah, and it wasn't about... Uh, what you could do, it was what you can't do and what you're not allowed to do. And you notice, we don't do that. Like philosophically, we're very much, this is what we suggest. This is what I think. This is what I do that works for me. But I'm never going to go and tell you guys, don't do this. This is not. The only episodes we've done that have been when we've talked about business stuff and like tax, paying your taxes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't dodge the IRS. Yeah, there, Thou shalt not dodge the IRS. Because there is some stuff that like, you may have strong feelings about it. They'll come get you anyway. Um, but other than that, you know, honestly, I, I just love the fact that you guys are getting something out of this and making progress off this and working towards your goals. And, and you know what? I'm happy that we're here to, we're here to help. Absolutely. Gosh dang. I mean, we, Larry and I always joke. Um, we joke about two things. First, and this is, the, this is the worst one that we joke about, and that's that we... As we, we start recording, there's a lot of <coughs> because we're both asthma boys. Two and guys we're allergic with, to everything. Two guys with asthma and allergies in a city that's got worse air quality than Beijing for half the year decided to host a, a podcast, and, and, yeah. and Jack volunteered to edit this. And so, <laughs> so as we go live, we're just like, okay, Jack, um, sorry. <laughs> Well, and then we die, right? Yeah, we usually, we usually know the days that are going to be bad. They're usually the winter-filmed episodes. Okay, yeah. so for the first year or so, he would do this, or they would do this, 
and they'd say, sorry, the smoke is really bad from California right now. It, it, it's, and I said, okay. It was always California's and fault. And then three months later, they're like, oh, it, it's, everything's pollinating right now. It, it's the pollen. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and every three months, they had a different excuse why it was going on. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's, it, it's like uh, Hulk in the, uh, in the Avengers movie. You know, that's our secret. We always have the sniffles. Um, we're always allergic to something. Now, the other thing that we always joke about is we sit down and we say, boy, you know, I, I'm just, uh, I'm surprised that we can still talk about topics and we haven't run out of topics after all of this time. Uh, and part of that's because we're smart enough sometimes to bring on guest stars to talk about the same things we've already talked about in a more intelligent way than we do. Um, and, and we've, look, we've recorded a bunch of episodes here already. Um, let's see who, let's see who we got so far. Uh, we have episodes coming up for you guys from Mike Massa. Okay. Uh, and Brian Urbanic yeah. on video game writing. Uh, Mike Massa is actually about writing time travel. Yep. Uh, and we have a couple more scheduled that we're really hoping to get. Yep. We got Howard Andrew Jones. You oh, guys saw yeah. in the, forgot Howard. in the thing. Sword, sword and Sorcery. Sword and Sorcery. Oh my goodness. It was really good. You were going to love that episode. We've got a couple more coming up. I'm not, we're not going to see who they are, but, uh, well, because we haven't, you know, cause the way the cons are, we were, we were like, had big dreams before we came down here. Me and Steve were like, Hey, you know, every time we have some dead time, we will go and grab whatever writer that we know is available. Who'd be cool to talk. And so then we did this. We're like, Huh. And if yeah, that's not going to happen. I, I mean, for those of you who are you know not here, we are holding up our schedules, and uh, it, basically they interlock like Tetris pieces. Where any given moment that I'm not on a panel, he's on a panel, and and it's just been dumb. Like we, and so we we uh, we have no downtime. And, and so like Larry, what's your day? Well, I was like, I'm occupied from uh, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. nonstop, and. Uh, at some point in there, I hope someone will throw food at me. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, been, it's been good. And, you know, and then, of course, Jack came. Uh, Jack, I mean, it, it was kind of last minute for you, though. A little know? bit. A little bit. But, uh, but, you know, you're here. We're glad you're here. Um, especially since, I mean, if, look, if we're going to record a 100th episode. Right. Like, if Jack's not on the episode... There's a problem. Like, we have to have Jack for this 100th episode. And so this worked perfect. Jenny and Bridget said no. I, that was it. They, yeah, we, we were going to do, you know, Rider Dojo 2.1, and they said they'd divorce us. Okay, okay. So talk about favorite moments. My favorite moment was sitting in the studio <laughs> while Bridget and Jenny are doing the uh, April Fool's episode, and I had my hand smashed over my mouth to not laugh the whole time because my wife went off she was just nuts and she just she's like my face is like a baby dolphin and, and i just at that point i was like i snort laughed and almost died and then her advice was either really good or really awful and it's like how do i write dialogues like, first off get out of the house and go talk to humans and it's like, she's like touch grass <laughs> I'm just, I was just not, I was, it's like, how would you murder your husband? Well. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, for you it was, for you it was cholesterol. Yeah, so Bridget was feed me more, and Steve's was, I just not feed him. 
So for the hundredth episode, we're just going to talk about Bridget and Jenny and how awesome they are and how they should be doing this podcast. Oh, 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 oh but don't forget Jill. Uh, so Mrs. Oh, Wilder did the. I was the, getting there. Oh my gosh. She had to read that commercial. The Spurgle Protocol. Y'all heard protocol. the episode, right? The Spurgle Protocol. She had to read the Spurgle Protocol and record it. She was not happy with either one of us, Larry. <laughs> so I basically wrote a tongue twister of like the worst book blurb you've ever heard in your life. And it was like an awful book. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I put that up for her. And oh my gosh, it was, it was multi-genre. Oh, it, is. it was multi-something. <laughs> and poor Jill, it took her like how many cut? How many takes did it take her? To she get? got that in like two. Oh my really? gosh, that's amazing! Wow, yeah, after the second time, she's like, "I'm not doing that again." <laughs> I said, "But nope, we're done." <laughs> no, that was that was my probably my favorite episode as far as just um, as far as useful for writers. Uh, oh, favorite useful episodes? Yeah, that's a thing. Oh mm. boy. Oh, we've had you. We had, we did a poll one time uh, on the on the Facebook page, and you guys ranked them from our earlier seasons. We had more since then, so we'll have to do this again, especially after we have some of these other guest episodes come for on. Sure, for sure. But you guys ranked the Dave Butler episode where Dave went through and was telling you guys about how to do pitches. Do you remember that one? Pitches and acquisition. That was a really good episode. And then Craig Nibo's uh, the rhythm, rhythm of writing. writing. Oh my gosh! Man. Now that one of all the ones we've done, that was the one that kind of blew my mind the most. Yeah. Sitting oh, there, man, you guys should have been in the room when the, we were doing this. So, I don't, I don't remember if I, if we talked about this on the show, but when, when Craig's sitting there, um, I, I told Larry, I said, "Dude, we got to get Craig on to talk about this topic," and he's like, oh, "Okay." Well, I don't know anything about music. Like, these yeah. guys know. I, I listen to it, but I'm yeah, musically we, ignorant as far as how to make it. And so, uh, I, I'd been at a convention, and I. I kind of got Shanghai'd into moderating a panel. Uh, Big surprise. Shocker. And uh, it was Craig's panel. It was him and another person. And the other person had never written anything, ever. And so it was Craig. So I'm like, well, oh, and he was the moderator originally for the panel. I'm like, well, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> that's, a, that's a waste of talent right there. <laughs> so I said, I said, hey, dude, look, look. He's like, can you come and do this? I, for you, dude, of course. Um, so I came, and I more or less just interviewed him for the, for the hour of the panel. And he starts going off on, on the rhythm of writing and how he's doing all these things. And my jaw hit the floor. I said, man, I have never, ever in my life heard writing described this way. And I think that he, maybe he's one of the only people in the world maybe that could, that could actually articulate it this way. And I told Larry, I said, dude, we have to do this. You're going to be, your mind's just going to explode. He's like, yeah, whatever, Steve. So we get in there, and as soon as Craig starts talking, I look over at Larry, and his eyes just do this. They just get super wide, and his jaw drops, and I just point at him. And I'm like, ha! I got you! Um, it was it was really good. It was it was oh man, it I was that episode. a very unique perspective. We've so, actually had a few guys with really unique perspectives, or very different than how I do stuff. Right. And and like, well, we have when we had Christopher Rocchio on. Guys, 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 I'm telling you, if you're not reading Christopher Rocchio, you need to. The dude is absolutely friggin' brilliant. I'm, there's very few writers that come along that I'm, like, jealous of them. You know, I try to be above such petty things. <laughs> um, but no, I... have never I, been petty, ever. No, I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's satire. Um, but no, I, I read Christopher's writing, and I'm like, dude... 
this guy this guy can just spin words together in a way that I just can't. I'm well, I'm not a wordsmith like he is. Well, and I was talking with um, with Howard Howard Andrew Jones earlier today. Another really brilliant dude. Dude's freaking rad. Now, he, you guys are gonna love his stuff. Um, but I, I was showing him Christopher's books, and I said, "Look, man, this guy somehow every freaking sentence this guy writes is awesome. It's poetic. It's beautiful." He said. And he can actually tell a story with it. Because usually the guys who are just all flowery and, and can write the most beautiful thing yeah, on There's the no planet. meat to it. It's like eating frosting. Yeah. You know? But not Chris. I mean, that guy can sustain a first-person narrative for 300,000 words and make you wish there were more. The guy's awesome. Yeah. So we've had some... We've been, we've been like, lucky on guest stars. Oh, yeah. We so, really since this is our 100th episode, are we doing like a clip show? <laughs> you want to you splice in like moments of brilliance from these guys we're talking about? I remember that. Let's do, well, yeah, let's get people to come up here and do some questions. Dr. Glenn Shepard never backed down from a challenge, including training for the next mission to Mars but he would never see the red planet. When one of his crewmates is trapped in the burning wreckage of an experimental spacecraft, Glenn knew he had to rescue him. When it's over, Glenn is not the man he once was, but they can rebuild him. Better, faster, stronger, but it isn't that simple. Things don't work the way they were supposed to. He has to learn to walk again, and he endures constant pain, and the woman who broke his heart would take his place on the mission. He will never fly again, never experience Mars. Until the Mars astronauts become deathly ill on their return trip. A rescue is risky and it's impossible for a human to survive the trip. But Glenn is more than human. He would show the world that he was the right man, the bionic man, for the job. The Moon and the Desert by Dr. Robert Hampson. Pick up your copy today. Um, if you don't mind, okay, so the reason why it looks like like you know, it's Press the media. Conference. It's the media session for like Ted Lasso, is because uh, you know we have projecting ones, we have recording mm -hmm. ones. These are the recording ones. Um, these, these are the mics and the equipment that we bought because of the Rider Dojo supporters. Literally, these are them. Thank you. Yeah, you guys bought these. <laughs> That that gorgeous pelican, that gorgeous pelican case over there that makes sure that all the money we spent on these things isn't wasted. Same thing. That's why we got it. Okay. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. Big big thanks to our supporters. All right. So questions. If you've got questions, mosey on up here. We'll turn a mic around for you. You can yak into it. Logan, my son Logan, will make sure that, you know, we don't die. And, uh... Yeah, he's security. Yeah, he's my security. <laughs> he's my muscle. So come on up, ask your questions. Anything you want. Anything you want. Come on up. Oh, we got a fourth one. Yes, we do. Because we're smart. And by Logan. we, I mean Logan. <laughs> Me and come Steve, actually, when we were learning to use this portable stuff, though, we do have one phantom episode that you will never hear because we recorded the episode and the batteries had died. In the uh, recorder. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. You've given a lot of advice to two writers about their beta readers. What advice do you have for beta readers like me? Oh, okay. Well, that's a good question. That's an awesome that's question. A great question. 
Yeah. Um, okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to make that an episode later. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we might actually revisit that more in depth because we, we were looking at it. When we talked about beta readers, we were talking about from the writer's perspective, obviously, because, you know, that's what most of the people listening are. But for the beta readers, and Steve has been a beta reader for, oh, for a, a lot. lot of people. For a lot. Okay, first off, biggest thing is check your own personal ego at the door as far as stuff like um, personal preference. Because just, just if a book doesn't match your personal preference, doesn't make it bad. And one of the things I've seen that kills a lot of writers groups is people have feedback. But it's not necessarily the feedback is good feedback. It's just that you didn't do it the way I would do it. Or you didn't write the book that I imagine you should write. In fact, one of the dumbest reviews I've ever seen was for uh, my gun book. Uh, I, got a, I got a review on Amazon for my gun book, and, and it was one star. And the reason it was one star is he didn't use my pet legal theory of, like, this thing that, like, Clarence Thomas thinks is stupid. <laughs> and so clearly, obviously, this so, – so Larry Correa agrees with the Supreme Court and not with me. One star. What? I mean, how, how do you even, like – like, what is it? So, so when you're giving feedback to people, it needs to be something that's, like, coherent, and it's not about you. Like, so when it's, you're the beta reader, it's about the book. Yeah, it's the, the biggest thing that, that I had to do checking my, checking my ego at the door was realizing and having to tell myself, this is not my book. Not my book. It's their book. My job is not to change their voice. My job is not to... Tell them that, uh, you know, how dare you write about monsters or something, because that's stupid. No one writes about monsters anymore. A lot, of the, a, lot of the, um, a lot of the feedback I give on this are similar to the advice I give for editing. Well, you're, yeah. well, editing, you're actually changing stuff. Beta reading, you're just noting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those things, so like, like when you're editing, it's like Steve says, you don't want to change people's voice. You want to leave their voice. The worst editing you'll see are the guys that come along and they want to change the book into being their book. Yep. But it's not about the editor, so it's not about the beta reader. Right. Honestly, the biggest thing is like, like Orson Scott Carter's talking about for his beta readers is I'm, I'm trying to see if when they're bored or confused. Yep. So really, if you are bored... Let the author know. I was like, oh, dude, I just wasn't into this. This is, I didn't care. Or you were confused. Like, who, the, who is this dude? Like, like, what is going on? And sometimes the author's going for confusing. You know, Steve is a huge uh, fan of Steven Erickson, yeah. Malazan, Book of the Fun. Dude, I, am, I have read a thousand fantasy novels, and I read that, and I was, I was confused. You know, yeah. for... That's your fault. <laughs> well, also, whenever... Uh Whenever an author asks you to read their book, it's good to have expectations up front. Mm-hmm. So you're not saying, oh, well, I think this should be uh, an ellipse, not, you know, a question mark, or it trails, you know, don't worry about punctuation unless you're actually copy editing. Yeah. So ask them what they're looking for. Are yes. you looking for general feedback? Um, what do you want from me? And Steve has a, a formula. Yeah, okay. Yeah. If they don't know what they want, then use Steve's formula. Yeah, so if, if uh, the first question you ask the author is, what are you looking for from me? Because maybe it's, you know, okay, like when, when I talk with Larry, um, I mean, we, we kind of don't beta read anyone anymore because we don't have time. Lack of time. But, you know, back in ye olden times when we did this for each other, um, it, if I gave my stuff to Larry, it was, Larry, look at these action scenes and tell me where I screwed up. That's a very specific. That's very specific feedback that I that I needed, and so Larry's like, Steve, I'm going to give you feedback on that because that's what you asked for. If 
if you don't get that, as Jack was saying, then I, I was talking about the ABCs. If they don't give you direction, tell them what's awesome, tell them what's boring, tell them what's confusing, tell them what's dumb as heck. And then if it's a short story, tell them what's excellent. If it's a novel, tell them what your expectations are going forward. A, B, C, D, E. Okay? Make sense? Dope. Cool. Hey, everybody else, come on up. Bring it. Bring it. Bring it. We'll edit out the walking time. <laughs> we. And by we, we mean Jack. Thank y'all for coming. Uh, if you get an opportunity to write in a novel in someone else's universe, and maybe you're, you haven't done your own first novel, do you think it's worth it, or do you run the risk of maybe being a writer in somebody else's world? Mm. Okay, there's, there's a couple things there. Um, first off, you've got to look at it. So, so there's the artistic level and the creative level, and then there's the business level. So I'm going to start with business, uh, as, as I tend to do. Yeah. Is that universe worth my time? Now, if you are a first-timer and you haven't written uh, your own stuff yet, then the answer is probably yes if there's going to be any readers to this. Um, and so if you're talking to a guy who, you know, we're seeing some more, like, I guess, indie expanded universes or mm -hmm. small press expanded yeah, universes right now. now. Yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of them here at LibertyCon. And if somebody comes in and you're like, hey, write me a novel in this universe, and it's your first thing, but it's a guaranteed sale, and a guaranteed you're actually going to make some money on it, and you're going to get some experience from it, then, you know, I would, I would take a hard look at that and say, is this worth my time? Probably, Yeah. But at the same time, if it's not, and it's some guy who doesn't have any sales, and he's like, hey, come right in my universe, well, how many books do you sell in your universe? You know, four. <laughs> and I'm not talking four, I'm talking four copies. Uh, no, no, it's not. Then you're better off developing your own stuff and doing your own thing. Always be developing your own stuff no matter what. Um, but if it's a big universe, and, and like, um, if it's like, you know, it's like we have some first-time authors, like, say, if John Ringo comes and, hey, I want you to write a Black Tide Rising novel for say me. Say yes. Say yes. That's a no-brainer. It's like, you are 110% in on that, right? Yeah. And so yeah. it's, it's got to be one of those. That, that's how I would look at it. Yep. That's it. I got nothing to add on that. that that's it exactly. Yeah. You know, so keep on coming up, guys. Because, um, honestly, that, that's a hard one. I'm thinking about this. Business has got to come first. Then there's artistic. There's artistic. So, so let's go down a level here. You, you said you don't want to best be necessarily uh, known for just writing in somebody else's universe. You're not necessarily stuck there because you're not going to write just one book. Um, I've talked to guys like they start out, they're writing Warhammer, right? Or they're writing for a game company or they're writing something else. That That's fine because those guys almost always have their own stuff before that. And they're going to have their own stuff after that. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, hopefully, you'll pick up some uh, some readers off of that thing in the in the meantime. There are so many authors who have gotten their start writing tie-in fiction for game companies, or you know, kind of expanded universe stuff with you know guys like Larry or or, or Ringo or whoever. Right? Um, there are so many authors who have got their starts that way. I mean, you have to consider it. Well, you guys all know Robert Jordan, right? Wheel of Time. Super mega huge mega 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 star, and 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 then then it picked up a whole nother thing. You know, Brandon Sanderson finished his series and picked up all that and became even huger. 
Robert Jordan was writing Conan. Yeah, he was writing Conan pastiches. Yeah, Conan tie-in fiction because somebody else owned the rights to Conan at that time, which is funny because we were talking about this with Howard the other night. You literally couldn't find original Robert E. Howard printed in anything, yet there was Robert Jordan Conan that you could buy at the supermarket. And I actually had some of these. That's how I found the real Conan, which no offense to Robert Jordan, real Conan is way better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no offense. <laughs> but he wasn't just the Conan guy, because he went on to do Wheel of Time, which made a bazillion, jillion dollars. Yes. All right. More questions. Come on up. Mas preguntas. <laughs> Steve could do a whole episode in Spanish. I could. Maybe you could talk about pricing stuff, you know, as opposed to, I've got like six short stories up on Amazon oh, okay. and, a, and a book-like manuscript. I'm going to put up more stuff. And it's new to me, only been up for a couple of months, so I'm not expecting sales yet or a lot of sales, but I have no idea how to price these things. That's a good question. Actually, I'm... Well, okay, so for Amazon exclusive eBooks, um, <clears throat> if your book is below $299, so $298 and below, you get, I think, a 30% royalty on said things. And uh, 30, did you say 35 35 Okay. If you if your book is priced two ninety nine to nine ninety nine, you get seventy percent. I had this I had this happen to me where um, I saw some of my stuff was on sale for one ninety nine. One ninety nine is where is the price point at which books go to die, because it's not ninety nine cents to produce volume sales to hopefully drag a large contingent of people into another book. Um, but neither is it two ninety nine to where you're actually getting paid a, a halfway decent royalty. So okay, so thirty five percent of you know a buck night of two bucks is basically two four sixty seventy cents, right? You can tell we're tired because normally Steve's like Mr. Yeah. Math. Seventy percent of three bucks is what, Larry? Uh, 210. So for raising the book by a dollar, you gain more than the dollar in royalties. You know, that's just the basic math of it. Well, there's the basic math. There's also the marketing angle. If, if, no, if, if no one knows who you are and no one knows your stuff and it's not that appealing to them, it's, it's, harder, it's a harder sell. Which mm-hmm. is, so that's kind of the conundrum for, for yeah, the new sure, guys. Sure. Like me, I can go out and people are like, well, your ebooks are too expensive. And it's like, nah, that's not really an issue. Deal. <laughs> I mean, because if people are still buying them in sufficient quantities, I'm happy. So now, Jack, I want you to talk about marketing psychology when it comes to like the price value proposition of an item. If just because it's cheap does not mean it's better. That is true. So, um, you, giving the if you give the book to somebody, if you say, "Hey, here's a, here's an ebook. It's free. Just you know, put it on your Kindle." Half the time, they're going to put it on their Kindle. They have nothing invested in it, so they may or may not read it. It's just another thing on there. It doesn't you know really mean anything. So you want to attach some value to it because if I have to pay even ninety nine cents, now I have some skin in the game. I, I want to you know I want to see what I'm getting for that dollar, right? Yep. Um, you want to price it enough that it matters to them, but not so far that it's, it's outside. And, and to some extent, I mean, 
it changes, right? Like, like Amazon is constantly changing their numbers and it's trying to keep up with things and you figure out an angle and they go, oh, wait, wait, wait no, we're not going to do that. You can't do book bombs anymore. Uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, that's one thing when you're, when you're on a, a, a constantly shifting battleground, what's a strategy that works at one point is not a strategy that works at another point. My book bombs used to crush Amazon. Gosh, they were so great. And Amazon and Facebook, between them changing their algorithm, basically destroyed that entire thing. Um, I don't know. So, so the value proposition is one thing. So if I, if I, I will see people who are really, they're, they're value-only driven reviewers or value-only driven purchasers. They see a $6.99 ebook and they're like disgusted and infuriated and will hate me until the day they die. Mm. But that's okay. That dude's cheap. All right. Back when I was selling guns, they would see like a, a $2,000 2011, and they were disgusted and offended and grossed out. And then I'd have the next guy come in and go, dude, that's wicked cool. I saw one of those USPSA, and boom, here's my credit card. They're happy as can be. So there is no one proposition for one mm -hmm. kind of thing. If you're selling fast food and you got your 99-cent tacos, people are like, oh, hell yeah, 99-cent tacos, right? If I go to a nice restaurant and it has 99 cent tacos, we got a different, we got a problem. I'm suspicious, you know. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, 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 so the sushi at the gas station is marked down, right? <laughs> That's a hell of a value. <laughs> yeah, it's something. You know, and, and then you know, on the flip side is is Nintendo. Okay, again, big, big, big gamers. Nintendo rarely marks the prices of their video games down more than like 10, 15%. $60 game, you might see it for 45, maybe 50. And, that, and that's for games that are years and years old. Why? Because they're Nintendo and you should value what they put out. They put out high quality stuff supposedly, okay? So there, there's, you know, there's so many different ways as we've all discussed where you can approach the the pricing of your item does that make sense it's a huge that was a huge answer for how do you price things yeah because when you're starting out and you have nobody buying your stuff that's the people you usually see 99 okay. cents so on that one it's probably not the price that's the problem yeah i mean look at what the market has out there if 99 cents is, is what's going on and if that's the standard rate your, your problem isn't with your pricing right the, the problem is with your marketing yeah so maybe look at that there's other ways to get your stuff in front of people and sometimes it requires time and sometimes it requires money well in um, that uh, and that 99 cent item should point them to another item eventually that is not 99 cents yeah and all this is this one i don't know the answer to because I, I see a lot of people do this experiment with free Yet, I, I do do this with the Bay and Free Library. You, know, you guys have all heard of the Bay and Free Library, right? And so Monster Hunter International, so to so, so give you an idea here, Bay and only does this when an author has a bunch of books. They don't do this for your author's first book because that's a waste because there's nothing else. Mm -hmm. So you sell the first, you give the first one away for free and, and you hook them and then what? There's nothing else there to bring them along. Right. Once an author has like seven or ten books out, then they'll take one of our books and they'll put it in the Bay and Free Library. And then someone will come along and they'll get Monster Hunter International for free. And the nice thing about giving out a book like that for free, it's from an actual publisher and, and, and it's got thousands of reviews. People are like, oh, okay, I'm going to try this product out. When you're giving out a product that has no reviews and there's no, no backbone there, people are like, eh, it's not my worth my time. 
they see that, they think, ooh, that's a value because it's got thousands of reviews, it's popular, it's been out for 15 years. I'm going to try this. So they'll grab that, they'll read it, and they'll like it, and they're like, damn, that's really good. I want the next one. Oh, it's $5.99. Boom, done. It's worth the price of that hamburger because they've done that. And then I get them eight more times, and then a spin-off memoir series. And hence, and so in that case, free makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. But you have other situations where they you don't have a name, you don't have a backlist, and you put it out for free, the public sees it and it's free and it's like, eh. I've seen other ones where one time, I don't know if Amazon still does this, but Amazon at one point would like stick free books in with regular books in the bestseller list. So I had some book coming out and I was hoping to hit number one in urban fantasy. And uh, yeah, I got to number two and I was like, well, what the crap's beating me, right? I like being number one. So I go to look and it's somebody's nine book series is free. Nine books for free. Right, and I'm like, that's people just gobbling it up, and I'm like, are they even going to read these? I don't know, or is it one of those things where it's kind of like when you pirate music? People who pirate music actually don't listen to that music. They like to be able to say, "I have fifty thousand songs." Will they listen to fifty thousand songs? No. So if you give away something for free that no one reads it, you haven't really accomplished anything. You know what I'm saying? I hate to say it, but I think we might need to do an entire episode just on pricing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we actually need to grab a couple of the indie guys. Yeah, we'll get some We're in that battle right stuff. now. Is like. that good for now? That's good for now. This is how we roll when people ask us questions. We'll like get spun up and start this thinking is why about it. Thirty-minute podcast sometimes goes an hour. Yeah, I'm just starting out, so I'm not really expecting to see many sales until I have like ten or twelve titles up, and I've been on Amazon for a year. But I'm just looking at well, should I be pricing things when I'm new? At, Two ninety nine for short stories that are like nine thousand words. If I was my my, can how hard is it to change the price on Amazon? Oh. Yeah. It might be worth doing some experiments and set the price at different levels and do different marketing at different times, do different advertising programs at different times, and kind of like be like when we talk about from the accounting perspective, be analytical. So I have it at two ninety nine. I got this marketing push that's trying to show that it's a value. It's quality. This is a good product. What did I do? Then I have it when I was blowing it out for 99 cents. Super sale. You know, what did that do? Again, and, should I wait until I have like 10 titles up before I start? No, because running? that takes a while. Yeah. And the goal is, I mean, you want to start making money on your first book, ideally. In a, in a perfect world, you write a book, you sell it, people buy it, they're happy, you write more books, right? I, I would not wait to experiment on the business end of things. I, I would I would experiment from the get-go to see okay. where you strike. Gotcha. Thank you. But what are you doing for your marketing? Like, how are you getting the word out on that book? Basically nothing. Okay, it's, so there you go. I might have identified the problem. Online or whatever. I might have identified a problem. I, I don't <laughs> want to push into marketing before I have enough product out. Well, if you have a product and, and you're worried about the price for it, Worry about getting that product in front of the people. Like, find the people who will give you money and get yeah. them to give you money. Yeah. That's the main the main rule of, like, success, whether it's indie, whether it's traditional, whatever it may be, is identify the people who want to read your stuff and then find the people who want to give you money for your well, stuff. Well, I, I started out just for an experiment and to get my chops writing fan fiction. That sure. Oh, yeah. Free. Sure. You know we're and, huge dorky fans of that. And, oh, yeah. And for six months, of course, nobody <clears throat> noticed it. Mm -hmm. After a year, after I had, like, 40 titles up, I'm getting, you know, 800, 900, 1,000 
views, whether they really read it or not, because right. it was free, I don't know. And now after a year and a half, I've got, you know, 60, 70 titles up, and I'm getting 5,000 views. Whatever. Of course, that's all for free. So Doesn't matter. I'm expecting it's going to take me a while on Amazon and have to get a certain amount up before I get anything where somebody's going to really discover it, other than family and friends. And yeah. You were going to do. I don't have any friends, but. <laughs> well, look around. <laughs> no, we're gonna we're gonna read my card. Okay. We are actually gonna revisit this one because I think we need to pull in a couple indie guys we know yeah. who are currently in that in that battle on Amazon, uh, and get their perspective and how they. And I, I actually, we know a couple guys who would be perfect Stephanie for this. Stephanie Osborne knows a thing or two about that. Yeah, we actually have some people here who are pretty smart on that topic. Okay. Actually, grab her after. <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> Let's see. We got. Um, I don't think you can speed away from me fast. We've we've got a few minutes, so we'll we'll uh, we'll try to run through these. Yeah, questions. we're gonna start speed rounding some questions. You'll inspire me to keep writing, so I want to thank you. Oh, thank you. But, <laughs> but <laughs> wait a minute. Hanging off of his question. Yeah. How much? And this is almost for Jack too. For a brand new author. How, what would you say your drop-dead limit is on marketing and advertising? What, how much money should you be willing to invest, say, on a two ninety-nine indie book on Amazon? That's, okay, okay. So we'll, this, we'll use an example here. It's going to depend entirely upon what your personal resources are and what your personal risk at um, risk assessment is. So we have a friend, uh, and Steve's actually written a book with him now. Yeah, it comes out on Monday. Mike Rothman. Uh, Mike is a great guy. What Mike is willing to spend on his indie books when he first started out was considerably higher than what most people would be willing to spend because of the resources which he had at the time. Also, this dude's got some serious, serious business acumen because mm-hmm. uh, his background and some other stuff. He is analytic. He runs A/B testing. He puts an ad out there. He can, he can tell you exactly how well that ad did for him, over you know, all of it. He's very analytic about it. Yeah. So the resources that he brought to the table to start out, what he's willing to spend, is way different than what most people are willing to spend because you don't have the resources. So when I was starting out, my marketing was all just me and what I could scrounge up. Yep. Off of off of my of the sweat of my brow and my own personal creativity, uh, and and going from there. One other thing is he got his friends involved. He had a friend who he bought guns from. Yep. Who had a friend who write magazines, and I said you need to check out this book. And so Monster Hunter International got written up by Dwayne Thomas for the um, what was it? It wasn't Dylan's Blue Press. For the yeah for. Dylan's yeah. Blue Paris, getting it in front of it, right? So I was so, working a lot of different angles for So no it's money. not just about the money you spend. It's, it's also about time and your connections, right? Yeah. You have friends. Get your friends to help. Yep. Tell their friends. Doing stuff like LibertyCon and, and meeting other writers who are in the same boat as you, meeting writers who are, who are not where you are yet, and meeting writers who are ahead of you is a great opportunity to start doing that stuff. Yeah, and get, then you'd be part surprised. of the community. Well, and also your readers... Like, honestly, I owe my career to the fact that I was posting internet fiction on on a gun forum, and one of the guys there happened to work at a bookstore to put in a good word with that bookstore owner who also happened to read that book. Because, you know, the owner of this bookstore is not on internet gun forums. He wasn't going to see it. Who then put in a word with Tony Weisskopf at Bayon. 
So you honestly never know the angles you're going to come at. And mm-hmm. everybody comes at this. There's some of the guys who are in this business, they came at it through short stories, yep. uh, being in anthologies. Yep. Uh, others, it's just knowing people. But as yep. far as uh, getting started, if you have 10 hours a week to devote to it, spend about an hour working on the marketing and spend nine hours working on the next one. Right? Yeah. Figure about 10% of your time for marketing and then go back into writing. Well, yeah, because the most valuable thing is the quality of the work you put out. The quality of the product you put out is the ultimate determinant and of your success. every time you write a book, every time you write a short story, anytime you finish, you'll get a little bit better. Larry Correa didn't start out as Larry Correa. I mean, oh, he started out no. strong, but... Uh, I was Larry Correa, but it was like, you know... He was gun writer. Like, I don't know if y'all realize this. He started out <laughs> writing gun reviews. Yeah. I was writing for gun magazines. Is my 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 fiction? No, was well, kind of fiction in some cases. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was posting fiction on the uh, on the high road. Yeah, I was right. I write writing and he was stuff just putting online. it in front of people every day, and they were watching it. And that's actually how him and Mike ended up uh, writing Dead Six. Right. Was it was on the forum? He'd write some and. Mike would yeah. write some. And, and dudes who are like my brothers in life are basically these two guys here and Mike Cooper, who's yeah. not here. That, that's like my third dude. And and, I, and then my real brother, obviously. To be, to be, yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, so so run with that. That's um, th- that's really good advice that, that Jack just gave you. Thank you. Okay. All right. This might be the last question. Well, this question is more so, again, in the marketing vein. Okay. Writing a blurb that oh, no. is going to be going on to you know, any of the websites, onto Amazon or whatever. I mean, I know this is a 200 by 200 uh, cover. That's completely, you know, completely different discussion. But writing a good, effective blurb, what kind of the length should it be? Um, you know, how okay. much uh, exposition should it have in it? That's you know, a really good question. That is a great question. That's like one of those whole episode questions, and we're not just saying that. What you're really looking for is, like, if... If you want to do research on this, look up elevator pitch. Okay. You want to be able to, uh, you know, you've got 20 seconds. Okay. You might have 20 seconds, so you want to hook them right away. Get them, keep reading. It's like um, uh, the opening line of a, a book, right? You want to hook them immediately so that they say, wait, what, what next? And the what next is you can buy it here on Amazon or, you know, your call to action. Well, like we just mentioned the Dave Butler pitching episode. Mm -hmm. So part of that episode, Dave Dave talks about pitching a letter to an editor to try to sell your book. But the advice he gives there as far as how to structure that actually works for back cover blurbs really good. Because listen to that again, and basically it comes down to is paragraph one is I'm telling you what I'm telling you about this is the character. This is like the adventure the character has been sucked into. Paragraph two, I'm going to extrapolate on that. Either more about that character or about whatever makes the world cool or unique or interesting that it's going to bring you in. And the third one is like your your business one. This is my such and such that's available here. Or in the case of the pitching answer, this is a, you know, such and such is a 100,000 word fantasy novel available, blah, blah, blah. Or, or as Robert says, like your pitch is available on Amazon now, whatever it is. So, so basically that structure there. And just so you guys know, I am bad at He's this. He's very bad. He made me do it. <laughs> the blurb for Servants of War was not me. In fact, the blurb for most of my books is not me because Bayon looks at the blurbs that I write and says, what is wrong with you, you weirdo dummy? Um, 
stick to writing novels. You're good at that. Your blurbs are trash. I am a bad blurb writer, just for the record. So you guys know if you read my blurbs that I'd written for my novel, you wouldn't buy them. And you've already read those books. You would not rebuy them. And then the last thing I'll say before we close off is that um, uh, I'm a very visual learner. So if I want to see how something is done, I go look at good examples of it. You can go to a bookstore. They still exist, I promise. And you can go in, go into that bookstore, start going through the section and picking up a book and read the blurb. Is it cool? No. All right. Why not? Okay, put it back. Pick up the next book. Is it cool? Wow, that sounds really good. Why? Why is it grabbing my attention? Think about it. Analyze. Analyze. Yeah. You got this. You can do this. You got. You know what? Actually, that's a good thing to close it. You guys all got this. Absolutely. You can all do this. I ain't that smart. No. <laughs> all right. So, thank you guys so much for coming to the hundredth episode of the Rider Dojo. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Baron Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries, by Craig Nymo. That's it. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Baron Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Still not a real writer. <laughs>